everyone's so busy keeping up. Forget about the Joneses, we all on our telephones. With the texts and the tweets and the beats, what he said, she said, can't even follow the three. Down the hole, we all go. Me, I like keeping up too, with my corona and my attitude. That's La Vida Masfina. Relax responsibly. Corona Extra Beer. Imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. feel so gullible. I spent all winter telling people that there was going to be a lockout that was going to cost the Major League Baseball season some games, that it might go for quite a while. It was going to be an ugly spring. And then they started talking and then they delayed their deadline and it looked like they were making move, you know, movement. It looked like they were actually negotiating good faith. I put this completely in the laps of the owners, I think they planned this all along. The lockout is their doing. But I will check with my guys. I'll check with Lavelle Neal and Roy Smalley, see if they agree with me here on the Chin Music Show. There's our baseball show at TalkNorth.com. Follow us on Twitter at TalkNorthPod. You can find all the shows at the website. We recommend subscribing at your favorite podcast app. It is free. It's easy. Uh, let's start with Roy. Uh, Roy has been a player. He has been uh, you know, involved in negotiations like this. Uh, he knows the financial world well. Uh, my short take, Roy, is that this is the owners just doing what the owners were going to do. But I defer to your judgment. What do you think? I agree with you. I, th- I think this in this case, uh, it's it's the owners. It's uh, it, it's a lockout of spring training in the first you know week or two of games, and and probably uh the it probably gonna take longer than that even if they were to schedule it uh even if they were settle it next week we're probably we're probably looking at more than two series but uh the point is i think that the you can look at the players and what is important to them what they're uh negotiating for and say that's a little bit rich i mean there's a lot of money being made by the players and i don't you know the minimum salary you know i, I get you know you always want more money for your for all players and there's there's salary cap and salary floor issues and all those kinds of things but the players were at the table and and the owners in this particular case i think you're right because i i I think the lack of movement um is is more you know more about more from the owners a this is our final offer or take or we're gonna or we're gonna start missing games in the season that's a that's an owner thing to do. What do you think, Lavelle? Well, you know, I'm really sad because last night I had a dream. And I dreamed that overnight that uh, Don Hallam and Bruce Meyer got together and hammered out a deal and that there was an email in my email box from my sports editor with our schedules for spring training. The, the weeks we're going to be down there. And the story is going to work on, and uh, then we're going to have to come back and prepare for the regular season. And it was so vivid that I woke up this morning and actually checked my email box to see if such an email was in there. And I also checked the Internet to see if there had been an agreement. But sadly, there wasn't. And so I am stuck here, you know, without purpose in the month of March when I'm usually 
at Fort Myers covering baseball under Sunsplash Fields and um, and, and, and uh, just being involved in the sport. I think that the owners, um, I, here, here's my thing. They had two years in which in 2020, um, there were, the revenues took a major hit because of the pandemic. And in 2021, owners took a little, another hit, but not as bad as 2020, because by the end of the year, fans were being allowed in stadiums, but it was still not maximizing their profits. And the fact that they're willing to sacrifice a month of the 2022 schedule tells you the financial uh, strength that they have and how they have the resolve to try to bust the union and and either maintain the same deal that they have or make it even better for their side. So as much as I want to complain about millionaires and billionaires whining over vast amount of money that most of us will never see in our lifetimes, it just seems to me that uh, the owners are, are, are using a deliberate strategy here uh, to crush the union and get the even sweeter deal. And it's pretty sad when all the people in the middle, the people who own businesses around these stadiums, the people who work at these ballparks, um, so other support staff, you know, are deprived of what is probably their livelihood because the owners want to squeeze a few more million dollars out of the players. And what's going on here is the owners have crushed it financially. They had big revenues, increasing revenues for the 17 years pre-pandemic. Obviously, they took a hit, but everybody took a hit the last couple of years, at least. But, I mean, even the Atlanta Braves, somebody got a hold of the Atlanta Braves internal numbers, and they they made $6 million a game pure profit last year. $6 million a game pure profit above and beyond all expenses. Uh, they have won the last couple of negotiations. They are making a larger percentage of the revenues than they did previously. And the players' salaries relatively, there have been some big deals, obviously, but the average player salaries have been relatively stagnant. Uh, it, this is the owners. This is, you know, this is calculated by the owners. And, and I'm glad you brought up, uh, you know, this, I did a piece uh, the other day about Darby's, the nice little, you know, the baseball bar near Target Field. And, and you know, I, I've made the point that, hey, the, the owners are going to be fine. They're billionaires. The players who have already made their money are going to be fine. Uh, baseball fans are going to be fine. The game will come back, and it will continue to be popular. That's the way it's always been. But it, it's the people who are dependent, you know, whether it's spring training sites, whether it's vendors, whether it's ushers, whether it's, uh, you know, bars and restaurants on the stadium. That Those are the people that are going to really take a hit and, and might not be able to bounce back well from it. Well, here's the other thing. I mean, that. You guys raise you know really good points just from a from a negotiating standpoint. Um, that, you know that Lavelle, you know the the bust the union uh, phrase means something different to me because I was uh, part of collective bargaining where literally busting the union was a, a, a an objective by the owners. It, 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 I mean and like make this all just go away. We can't have, you know, we, we can't have the union be this strong. And, and I understand you're saying bust the union now. It's, it's, that's watered down a little bit in my opinion, but, but the, the significant point for me is they are trying to hardball the, the union and get major, major concessions 
uh, from the union in this collective bargaining agreement process. And that puts the players in a situation where they have to say, it feels like you're trying to drastically change uh, the relationship in negotiations and the relationship in economics between the uh, owners and the players. And we're not gonna stand for that. I mean, it's one thing to you know really haggle over uh, some of the economics uh, that they're haggling over. It's another thing to give the other side, for the owners to give the players the feeling that Lavelle just expressed, that they're trying to bust them. And it, it, they're, they're not going to bust the union per se, like like it was in 1976 when I was going through this this deal, and again, in, especially no, you're in, right. in 81. But they are, they, they're trying to inflict significant damage to uh, what the negotiations are going to be like in the future. And they put the players, I think they put the players in a situation where the players have to say, nope, nope, and nope. Yeah, when I say bust, I mean in, in terms of getting the players that came in on this particular negotiation so they can um, continue to to stack the fat, the fat stacks of cash that they're bringing in, uh, not trying to get the union to dissolve by any. That's not where I was headed with that. I'm no, I, I know that, but, but I'm just saying what they've, what they've done is you know almost tantamount to that because they're putting the players in a situation where the, the players have to now be are, are just going to be a lot more militant than they would have been before i mean they, they put them in a real in a situation where you know before it was a negotiation and now feels it's going to feel the players like it's a war now and, and uh, they, they, they prepare for this possibility because i think they've assembled a little bit of a war chest and i think players are getting uh checks from the union starting Actually, this week, I believe um, it's not a lot. I think they're getting like 15 grand, which is, means a lot to the low level player, of course. Um, so I think they saw this. I think they saw this coming um, um, down the pike here. So um, it's just real. It's real frustrating, too, um, because the, the game needs to be fixed in so many other ways. And right now it's broken financially and it's broken. Um, it's broken uh, in terms of how the game's being played on the field with all the shifts and games taking damn near four hours to be played so um uh, if i'm a baseball fan i'm really i'm really just sad and angry at what's going on with these people right now and we have more angles to pursue in that regard i'll actually ask a twins question actual on-field question here in a minute but we do want to thank uh one of our newer sponsors at talknorth.com that's corona corona beer the official import beer sponsor of the minnesota twins and presenting sponsor of the chin music live shows that we do occasionally appreciate everybody's come out to those uh recently uh we also want to thank pizza luce which has been hosting our live shows and we want to have lavelle neal Tell us about Eleven Wells Distillery. Jim, do you know how much Eleven Wells loves this podcast and loves the things that we do? Tell me. They love us so much that if you go to Eleven Wells Spirits Company, and I never mention the address. I just say it's outside downtown St. Paul. Uh, I'm going to mention the address today. 704 Minnehaha Avenue um, in St. Paul, Minnesota. It's an old brewery location that, that sits atop of some... Uh, a huge aquifer where they drill down to make their wonderful whiskeys and rums and other uh, spirits. But they love this podcast so much that if you go to 11 Wells to have a beverage with some friends and say, I'm here because of the Chin Music Podcast, 
you will be able to get a free drink. You'll buy one and get one free. So it's BOGO at 11 Well Spirits right now, uh, located just outside downtown St. Paul, 704 Minnehaha Avenue. BOGO because YOLO. Hey, we, want to, <laughs> we want to thank our producer, Brian Burnett. Also let you know we have tons of good content at TalkNorth.com. Now we've added Mike Grimm's Go Gopher podcast, the On the Bench uh, podcast, which is the podcast version of the Canadian hockey humor duo's uh, smash YouTube uh, sensation up in Canada that's incredibly popular. Tons of outdoor content, the best sports lineup in town, including uh, Cheryl Reeve. Check it out. We do appreciate everybody listens to TalkNorth.com. And again, the best way to listen is to subscribe. So what I find fascinating, because I, I remember when I first got into uh, covering baseball and talking to union le- reps and union leaders and people around the game, and one point that Marvin Miller made, that Donald Fair made, Fair made, and that a lot of players have made, which is a lot of the times what the owners are doing in these negotiations is trying to get the players to help them from spending their own money. I mean, that's kind of the logical fallacy here is that, you know, the, the competitive, any talk of a, uh, a, sa- a salary cap, a competitive balance tax, any luxury tax, what they're trying to do, the owners are basically saying is, hey, please don't let us spend our money the way we want. We, we know we're going to spend it. And it's almost like right now that the they have 28 owners saying, hey, the Dodgers are spending like crazy. And we think the Mets are going to start spending like crazy. Don't let us do this. <laughs> that's always been that's always been the case. And and uh, it's it, it, ever you know, way back to uh, the origins of this thing back when when I was involved in it, it's always been. Uh, yeah, but we can't help ourselves. Pete Rose told a great story in their first year of free agency when he could have, when he went to the Phillies from the from the Reds uh, back in whenever that was, 78, I think, uh, 77 or 78. And uh, he said at that point in time, he got a multi-year deal at $800,000 a year. Uh, this is, you know, Pete Rose. So you're talking about, with the inflation of the game uh, and salaries and, and revenue and all that all that kind of stuff gives you a little bit of an idea. But uh, everybody was, all the media was just uh, hounding them about, holy cow, you, you know, you held up the Phillies and, and, um, and uh, held up baseball, you know, negotiating with different teams. The Phillies won the bidding war and all. And Pete said, look, at no time did I ever go into the Phillies or anybody else with a shotgun and said 800 or, or, or your life, 800,000 or your life. I just went in and said, what, what would you pay? What would you pay? What would you pay? Phillies got to 800,000 for five years, whatever it was. And it was done. I'll, I'll, I'll sign that one. And that's always been the case that the owners, when push comes to shove in terms of being able to get a player they want, they they break the bank to do it, and then as an industry, they come back to the players and say, you know, we can't be spending this kind of money on <laughs> on salaries. I mean, we just we can't we can't be doing it. And and the, the only the only caveat or corollary that I will say to that is is uh, is that the the other thing that happens though on the other side of that is that when the owners do try to get some fiscal responsibility for their own uh, organizations, then the players' agents and the players' associations scream collusion. And mm-hmm. it's, so, so, I mean, it's a, it's a dysfunctional relationship in that regard because I, I, am, totally, I, I am totally in agreement with, 
you know, it, it, with your your statement, I've seen for my whole life in, in baseball, I've seen the the evidence of uh, you know the owners trying to make the player negotiate in the collective bargaining agreement some way that the owners don't have to spend uh, the money that they're going to spend if they if they don't negotiate that in, and and that and the players know that, and so they won't let them. I mean, that's you know it's clear. But on the other side of it, uh, the the agents get involved and in, and the players association gets involved when any teams decide, you know, uh, to, in money ball kinds of things. We're just not going to spend the money on on that kind of free agents. That knocks down the salaries for uh, everybody in free agency for, you know, at least that that coming year. And then the players howl about that, and and the owners have gotten together and and tried to collude. So, it's dysfunctional. Well, what's weird about this is that the owners scream about help us keep ourselves from ourselves, whatever. But they still sign Trevor Bauer to a forty million dollar year contract. They still sign Max Scherzer to a forty million a year contract. Top pitchers are still getting thirty and thirty five million dollar deals. Um, but it's affected uh, the middle guy, you know, the guy who's not a great player. And once he gets to age 30 or 31, they find himself squeezed out of the market. And I think part of it's because um, teams are willing to pay the, the, the top dollar still to the top free agents. And they've got to uh, be responsible uh, with the rest of the roster. And so the rest of the roster ends up with young or inexperienced guys or cheap guys. So it's it's rather wacky. I also um, I also laugh at Manfred's statement last week when he said um, baseball has a payroll disparity pro problem. Why would we want to adjust the luxury tax? It's our, it's our one mechanism that kind of helps uh, keeps things under control. He still has a payroll disparity problem because you've got teams like the Pirates who have an eighty million dollar payroll, and then you have a team like the Dodgers that has a two hundred and fifty million dollar payroll. And it's still the disparity still exists. So I just thought that was kind of a ridiculous statement by, by the commissioner to make when they need to clean up their own house. It was it a ridiculous. Crazy. It was a ridiculous statement to make, and the 250 million versus 80 million goes higher when someone really wants a player and says, "Okay, we'll just pay the tax." And 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 if you consider the tax that they pay part of. The payroll, which they, you you pretty much have to do, then the disparity gets worse. So that that was a uh, that was a dumb thing to you know to say, and and that that just fuels for the fire for players when they say this kind of stuff. You know it's unserious, and you know Lavelle, we saw this coming. Certainly, the players have seen this coming for a while. That the owners' attempts to get some kind of fiscal uh, responsibility on themselves, if it's not going to be collusion, it's going to be. Uh, everybody but the but the most marquee players are going to get are, are going to get squeezed in the in the team payroll just as you say. I'm sure the players have seen this coming for a while, and that's that's a big part of what they're doing. Yep. yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something else about Manford in a second here, but first we do want to thank our friends at Memorial Blood Centers doing such important work. This month, give blood with local Memorial Blood Centers, and you'll make twice the impact. For every unit of blood donated, Memorial Blood Centers will donate one dollar to Second Harvest Heartland helping ensure that folks living with food insecurity can get healthy, nutritious food that they need. Double your impact without opening your wallet. Learn more about how you can help or to schedule an appointment to give blood at mbc.org or call 1-888-448-3253. 
Your community is counting on you. We'd also like to thank longtime sponsor, Better Edge. If you're going to bet on sports, we recommend Better Edge. Combine your love for competition, social, and sports with Better Edge, the sports betting exchange that actually gives back to its bettors. Better Edge is a brand new locally based betting platform meant to connect users and attempt to add some coin to the bank. Completely legal and 100% fun, compete against friends, sports insiders, and yourself with Better Edge in a number of different sports and event competitions. In fact, you can follow me, my username is Sonny Everett on this platform to see what my picks are. Use code CHIN for a free $10 when you sign up by visiting betteredge.com. That's B E T T O R edge.com. Just can't bet on baseball right now. <laughs> well, you can bet on it. You just won't. Well, hey, you'll lose less than you usually uh, lose. Uh, and tell, Lavelle, tell us about Perfect Ash. Well, Roy, do you know how much the Perfect Ash loves this podcast? <laughs> no, Lavelle. Tell me. <laughs> they love this podcast so much that they want everyone out there to know that if you come to the Perfect Ash in the month of March, before the NCAA tournament begins, and donate $10 to the local Shriners organization, you will be able to enter a bracket contest in which you can win fantastic prizes like humidors, cigars, and other cigar accessories. So in the month of March, before the NCAA men's basketball tournament begins, fill out your bracket, come to the ash, smoke a cigar with a bunch of like-minded individuals, and help support the Shriners. Lavelle, I've got this image in my mind of you being over in the general St. Paul area running back and forth, smoking a cigar, putting it down, running to uh, 11 wells, having a bourbon, running back to uh, your cigar. I, I, how, do you, how do you make that work? You must have seen my Uber account over the last <laughs> <laughs> You know, Roy, you know what Lavelle calls that? He calls that Friday night. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Hey, I, I want to go back to Manfred here. Uh, I threatened to talk a little actual baseball, but I'm more interested in this right now. And Roy, you know, you, you know, you know the landscapes. So I'll be and Lavelle, you know the landscape too. So I'll be interested in your views on this. Bud Selig was an easy guy to caricature. He's an easy guy to pick on. Uh, he had bad moments. Obviously, the steroid thing got away from him. And he threw up his hands at an all-star game. He, you know, Bud was a character. Uh, but, man, he worked really hard at player-owner relationships. He worked really hard after that 95 uh, stri- lockout strike. He worked really hard to make sure that the game would be in better shape. And I don't know if Manford has that same mindset. Let's start with Roy. The thing that Bud Selig, his, his great genius – was how much he truly loved the game, how much he truly loved players. And I, I really believe that. I've spent some time with Bud, and I, 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 I truly believe that. And consequently, being in a job where he was beholden to the owners. I mean, he's an owner's guy. This is not a – they don't get a neutral third party to come in. Uh, the owners get an owner, or they get an owner's, an owner's guy, and they give him his marching orders. Uh, as as commissioner, but Bud was uh, had this had this love for the game and love for players and the ability, the genius ability, to get consensus, to work really hard to get consensus among owners and to cajole and to uh, argue and to uh, point out facts and to you know to do different things that uh, that allowed the negotiating. Uh, after 95 
that <clears throat> allowed the negotiating to uh, happen in a much more uh, reasonable uh, manner. And there were a lot of things about, about, about you know, the commissioner being the owner's guy, they almost by definition have to say stupid stuff every once in a while. I mean, you know, Bud, <laughs> Bud was, you know, the, the whole thing about the contraction here in, in the Twin Cities and moving the club to North Carolina or, you know, some, I mean, he, he came here, I was at some meetings, uh, some press conferences, he said some, as you guys, you'll remember, I mean, he said some, some dumb things about, you know, how, why contraction was necessary and why, the, you know, the stadium just had to be built on taxpayer money and all that kind of stuff. And but that just goes with the territory of being a being a commissioner working for the owners at some point in time. His behind the scenes uh, work ethic about keeping the owner, getting the owners together, getting the the hawk wing and the more reasonable wing to uh, talk things out and get to a more reasonable uh, position. It, it, he was, in my view, as, as dumb as some of the things and, and as mistakes that he made, in retrospect, I think he's as good a commissioner as baseball's ever had. Well, I can agree with that. Um, my thing, when I think of Rob Manfred, he, he fits the mold of what I think is the modern sports commissioner, is that their number one priority is to grow the game and make owners as much money as possible and to keep, continue to make owners more and more profits. Um, I don't think he. I don't think he's a passionate man. I don't know if he has the best interest of the game at heart. I don't know if he cares about how the game is played. He he cares about whatever the game needs to be in order to maximize its revenue. Um, Mr. Manfred has a career as in labor law. That is his expertise, and that is why the owners have him to be commissioner, so he can win these labor battles, so he can maneuver around whatever. Uh, grenades the Players Association tries to throw at owners and continue to drive this sport into a path uh, straight to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I, I don't think he, I think he would care care less about um, aesthetics or or um, or how the game is played. So I, I think that's his his um, his goal is just continue to pile on uh, and fatten um, owners' uh, pocketbooks. So. Uh, that's that's my um, that's my impressions of of Rob Manfred, and so um, that's why eventually they're going to get a 12-team playoff. They're probably going to eventually get a 14-team playoff. And the weird thing, Roy, because we talked about this in other shows, how you would like to shorten the season to 144 games, I actually think that that Manfred probably would love to shorten the regular season in order to have room for expanded playoffs, where you can really make a ton of money. So. Um, I so when you have someone like that who is totally opposite from Bud, because Bud was more of a consensus builder, um, not just between the uh, the owners and the players, but the small market and large market owners as well. Um, uh, he, there's there's a definite contrast between Bud and and, and Rob Manfred. There's no question about it. And the thing that uh, I think to you know to get to the gist of it. The only commissioner um, other than, well, the first commissioner since Bart Giamatti. See, see the, I, my two, I think the two best commissioners that baseball seen, maybe ever, Bart Giamatti and Bud, uh, Bud Selig. And so why were they so good? Fundamentally, they loved the game and they knew about the game. I don't think Manfred 
is I, I don't, he doesn't strike me as being a, a very big baseball fan in, in history, you know, in, in his past. Uh, if he is, he does a bad job of showing it. And I, I think that when you have commissioners like they've had most of the time that are business guys one way or the other, whether it's, whether it's labor law or, or, or anything else, um, it, it's, it, it, if they don't have a fundamental knowledge of the game and love for the game, it makes it very, very difficult for, the, for consensus to be reached among players and owners. And just based on what Giamatti did and what, and what Bud did, I, I would say that's the case. Well, you know, um, you know who really cared about the game, but it really didn't get him far? was um, who did Bud replace as uh, – I'm trying to remember his name. Who, who did Bud replace uh, as commissioner? Because they pretty much forced him out of office. Uh, yeah, I don't – I can't – I can't – I know exactly uh, Oh, um, was it – it was Bart Giamatti. Was it Giamatti forced out of office? No, he died. No, he died. So Giamatti died. There, who's, we're missing one because he's still alive because he's quoted in the paper the other day. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Faye Vincent. Faye oh, Vincent. That's right. I forgot yeah. about Faye Vincent. My God. Faye, Faye was a huge baseball fan and yes, cared about sports deeply. Um, um, but they pretty much ousted him and, and replaced him with Bud. Right. And that's the reason. He was, he, you know, I mean, a guy that loves a game that much, as Faye Vincent did, was not, uh, and that was a particularly particularly rancorous time in uh, with between the players and the owners and Faye Vincent wasn't going to get it done for the owners as far as they were, they were concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. And yeah, Giamatti, I think would have probably been the greatest of all time if he had uh, been able to stay, you know, stay healthy. It's a, and he, he was actually, he was almost like a poet. I mean, he, he was just brilliant in talking about the game and his love for the game. And, and that was a great loss for the game. But he said, I think Selig was, Highly underrated because he just had, I think most of it was, he got stuck with steroid error, as if any commissioner could have kept players from taking steroids. And I also think Bud was the last commissioner actually liked ball riding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bud, that's, that was the thing about that scene. I'd go, you know, back in the old days, uh, I'd go sit with him in his office uh, in the basement of County Stadium, and he'd have like 800 newspapers stacked up because he read everything from every newspaper in the country about baseball. He was just incredibly invested. Uh, and then listen, he, he was part of the contraction uh, ridiculousness that happened here. And, and I understand why Minnesota fans would hold that against them. He deserves yeah. that that held against him. But in terms of uh, someone doing the best they could mm -hmm. under the circumstances, I think he did very well. I remember Bud coming into the press box at Old County Stadium to oh, get yeah. a breath and get into arguments with Tom Hardicourt over how of course, the, uh, the Brewers were at the time. <laughs> well, actually, they, the great thing was they didn't always argue. Sometimes they agreed how horse crap the Brewers were. Uh, it yeah. was, uh, Commissioner of Baseball come into the press box, get a brat, and go, why, does our, why is our bullpen so horse bleep? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, above would drop, drop F-bombs uh, yes. <laughs> about this team and about Harger Court in the press box. And uh, I used to – I, I always – I would – that's the one reason I like going to County Stadium, just to wait for those moments to happen. Because Bo would eventually make his way through the press box, and something would happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so having, so being in the press box and being around uh, at that era, 
between Bud Selig and um, <laughs> oh my gosh, I just had his name. I, I just uh, and uh, the, the announcer. Um, oh, Bobby Euchre. Euchre and Euchre. Yeah. I mean, it, there's there's no telling what 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 might have come up. Absolutely no telling. No. And what and one of the great things about Euchre, we're just going sideways here with the show, which is what I like best about these shows. Uh, <laughs> Hard to court would always tell people, you know, has always told me, and Jim Powell, who did, you know, worked for the for CCO and covered the Twins for a while here, and now is in, uh, you know, and then he spent some time in Milwaukee before he went to Atlanta. He always told me the greatest thing about Euchre was Euchre was so beloved for all the right reasons, so beloved and so sharp that. Whenever he wanted to rip on somebody, he would rip on them, and they would think they would think they it, he was like just joking. He would actually he could stand there and insult somebody to their face for ten minutes, and they would just like laugh and smack smack him on the back because they just thought it was hey it's Bob Euchre being funny. No, he just ripped you for ten minutes, and you had no idea it was happening. <laughs> Speaking so, of genius, he was he's he was a true baseball humor genius, no question. Oh man. What a beauty. Um, okay, I think we've done enough this week. Next week, we're going to talk about the shift. We're going to talk about some of the rules proposals that have been thrown out there. We're going to make a prediction on when the game will be back. Uh, we'll get into whatever negotiations have gone on. and We'll actually talk about the Twins roster. I think we've done enough damage for today, though. Uh, so thanks to Roy. Thanks to Lavelle. Thanks to our producer, Brianne. Thanks again to Corona Beer, Eleven Wells Distillery, Memorial Blood Centers, Better Edge, and Perfect Ash. And again, go to talknorth.com, check out all the other shows we have, and uh, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. We do appreciate it. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to extend the show for this. Roy and Lavelle, give me a final thought on anything you like. And let's start with Lavelle. Wow. that's a, Yeah, you threw that at me. Okay, i tell you what. Um, I'm glad that football season's over, and I'm glad that uh, I'm back from Beijing covering the Olympics because I now have my, have my Sundays back. So I'm going to go out and listen to some music. And this week, I'm going to listen to Tim Sigler, who's a local country music um, uh, performer. Uh, he will be playing Ziggy's in Stillwater on Sunday afternoon. It's called Sunday Fun Day. And uh, I, have not, I have not been to a live music event in quite a while. So I, I'm, I'm I need to scratch my musical itch, and I'm going to go listen to some cool country music uh, on Sunday afternoon. Evening. Roy, what do you got? I got nothing. Okay, well, I got I'm, I'm so I'm so angry about uh, the prospect of baseball being out a month or whatever it's going to be. I, I just it, I got nothing. Well, see, that's that my final thought was uh, not baseball related. <laughs> no, I know, but I but it but it it, it just it, it's ruining my personality. I, I mean, and so I, it's hard for me to think about anything else. But I mean, put yourself in my chair right here. I'm sitting here in my home office. Uh, watching uh, the the uh, market down another percent and a half, and uh, baseball is not going to be played. I don't get to see uh, guys running around on green grass. Uh, I'm not going to see it for a month into the season at least. It looks like I got nothing. All right. Well, that that's a fair and honest answer. Uh, we'll be back with something next week.